Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. I titled the, we're going back to our series on Colossians. The series was uh, More Than Enough. I titled this sermon, A Wardrobe Fit for All Occasions. You find it in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. We'll read that and then we'll get into it. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you so also should you beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father blessed be the word of the Lord Heavenly Father we pray this morning that as we Take a look at our position and who you are and how we can act that position out on earth. We just say thank you. Thank you for this wonderful passage of uh, you had Paul write for us, for the church at Colossae, but also for us. May uh, you use this message and the messenger to uh, put out what you would truly have your people hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've already said, we've returned to our series this morning. We've, uh, last time we were in the series was the week before Thanksgiving, and uh, our pastor, Tim Ballstrom, uh, shared about what you're supposed to take off. And so he left you without clothes for five weeks. <laughs> and so we're going to try and get you dressed today. But uh, before we do that, we're going to talk about a few other things also. But um, I was just... In the, in the process of looking at this clothing issue, I was looking at, um, I kind of looked back. Clothing, how important is clothing? And, and where is it in the Bible? Well, I found out it's all over the place in the Bible. Very interesting. Where's the first place that man was ever dressed? Genesis, Garden of Eden, right? When sin came, uh, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they clothed themselves. Very interesting. And then later on in Genesis, you have Jacob giving his beloved son, Joseph, a coat of many colors that caused Joseph so much grief with his brothers. And you go on and you see multiple times that clothing is an important issue in, uh, in the priestly garments that were worn. And, and then you come all the way forward, you fast all the way forward to where Christ left heaven and came to a manger and was clothed in swaddling clothes. And then you see him at the cross where the robe was taken off of him and he was beaten and the, the robe, the scarlet robe was, they cast lots to see who would take it. And he was stripped down to nothing on a cross. And then on that cross, he took on your sin and was clothed with sin for a moment as he paid the price that was required by the Father so that you could be one of his children today. Amazing, amazing. And we have this passage here where he says, previously when Tim spoke, he said, put off these things. Put off this sinful garments that you wear and put on these. And, but before we talk about that, I want to remind you, as Paul does in this passage, he reminds them of who they are. Don't you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ sometimes? 
I certainly do. I certainly do. And I love it. It's, he goes right to the point. It's really quick, but all oh, the power of these words. He says it this way. You've been chosen of God. This is who you are today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've placed faith in what he did for you on a cross, if you believe that you needed a Savior and you found it in Jesus Christ, this is for you. This is what he says you are currently right now. This is who you are. He's going to tell you how to act that out, but right now he's going to say this is who you are. And what you are is you were chosen. You were a chosen individual. You were elected by God. He picked you out. Find that in, if we look over at Ephesians 4, I mean, excuse me, 1, verse 4, he says this, same author, Paul, in the New Testament writes, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's saying almost the same thing in this passage. He says, you've been chosen out. Let me remind you, Colossians. Let me remind you, the believer of Colossians. Here's what you need to, to know. You were chosen by God. And you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. So that means you had little to do with it at that point. Now, I'm not going to talk about election and get into that doctrine. We'd be here all day. But you were picked out. And look at what you are. You're holy. You're holy. You say, Pastor, you haven't been following me around. Oh, no, no. My position is I'm holy. Not based on my ability or anything that I have done, but based on the works of another. Based on what he did on a cross. I'm holy. Another word for that, another way of looking at that, I've been set apart. I once was in sin. I've been set apart from that. I'm now in the family of God, and I have a, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. And then this final one, and I'm beloved. You are beloved. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been picked by him. You are holy this morning, and you're beloved by him. I hope that encourages you. I hope that encourages you. That beloved, I looked it up. This word beloved in the Bible, he uses it over a hundred times to be beloved. And one of those times I saw that I said, oh, I must share it, is when he's being baptized in Matthew 3. When Jesus is being baptized... And these are the words that the Father used, and the word beloved is the same word that is being used here by Paul in Colossians. He said this, as he looked down from heaven on the scene of watching his son being baptized, he said this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We are the beloved of God according to our passage, chosen and beloved and holy. You and I are one of his chosen this morning. I said, you and I are one of his chosen this morning. If we are Christians, and if we, and because we are, we are part of the royal family. And not that one in England. They got nothing on us. They can keep their royal family. I'm in the royal family of God. So Paul wanted to make sure they understood who they are. I'm about to tell you what the new wardrobe looks like, but before I do that, let me remind you of who you are. And if you wear this wardrobe, you'll live out who you are on this earth. Amen? So the first thing you do is you must receive the grace of Christ. And that's what we've just been talking about. Receiving the grace of Christ. And you've already received it if you place faith in Christ. And those are, this is your position now. I was elected by him. I have seen his holy, set apart by him. And now I'm beloved by him. 
Oh my goodness. Think of that. This place should go up in smoke hearing that. I said this place should go up in smoke hearing that. Just like he did over there. Second thing, we'll get to the portion of getting dressed. Since you have no clothing at this point, we're going to get you dressed. Thank God that that's a metaphorical thing I'm saying. Um, There's eight parts, eight aspects, eight, um, I call them graces. They're free gifts of God. When you got salvation, when, when you saw him for who he was and who he is and what he had done for you on a cross, when you realized that you were headed for hell and needed a savior. Anybody remember that? Do you remember that or has it been so far removed now that you've gone cold to what you used to be? an act of grace, an unmerited favor in that the Lord let you have the faith to be able to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And then he gives you these eight aspects or these eight graces, I will call them. And I I titled it, Put on the Wardrobe. This is the second point. Put on the wardrobe of the character of Christ. You can do that this morning. We start with the first one. You see it here in verse 1 as we continue. It says, put on, put on. This is an active thing you must do. Your clothes don't jump out of the closet and get on you. If yours do, you've got a magic closet. i got to go through my closet and pick out something that will fit me, first of all, after all this food that I've been getting delivered to the house and these holidays. And my wife is not in a position to expand any of my clothing, so I gotta look around in there. But you gotta, there's an active part of it. There's an active part. These graces are available, but you've got to put them on. So put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. This is another way of saying that is put on his tender mercies. Have the mercies that he had. A compassionate heart that Christ had. Put that on this morning. And, and when it says a heart of compassion, he's not talking about this up here, this thing that beats. That's what we automatically think, the heart. Okay, that's my mind, that's my intellect. Mm. It meant different than that. This literally means to have a heart of compassion is to have a deep gut-level feeling of compassion let me describe that to you for a second it's seen at nighttime late you're up watching the late night movie or something and that commercial comes on that commercial that you almost want to turn away from that says there's starving children in this other country And they don't just tell you they're starving. They show you pictures of them starving. Been there? Now, if you're heartless with no compassion, you just turn the channel. But it should affect you within. It affects you emotionally. It's that gut-wrenching, almost it... For me, a lack of a better term, it's almost a nauseous feeling. I've got to do something. It's described a little bit in Matthew with Christ, how he had this. We can always go to Christ and look at his reaction to things. And when we do, we find out what a heart of compassion he had. Look at this. Jesus, this is verse, I'm sorry, Jason. I know that you were looking this up for me, but I'm going to go back a little bit. In, in 935, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then listen to this. Seeing the people, seeing them, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Seeing the people, he felt compassion. That's the kind of compassion he had. We've got to get the, someone out there to tell them about the kingdom. If you don't have a heart of compassion... If you don't have these tender mercies about you, if you don't have those, I fear you'll never tell people about Christ. Number two, put on his kindness. We have been saved. If you're here this morning and you know him, your salvation comes because of the kindness of God toward us through Jesus Christ. We, in turn, ought to show kindness toward others. In Ephesians 4, 32, Paul, once again, he says this. I think I heard this the first time when I was a little boy in Sunday school, and I may have heard it from my mother when I was being evil to my brother. Lawrence Keith, God said in his word, be ye kind to one another. Ah, but you don't know what I'm dealing with, Mom. Doesn't matter. Be kind to one another. It's God's command. And I, I went back into the Old Testament, and I, I think it's one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible, in my perspective. And it was... King David's treatment of the crippled prince Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel 9, David's desire was to show the kindness of God to King Saul's family because of his own love for Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were like brothers. The young man chosen was Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, a poor cripple. If David had acted according to justice, he would have condemned Mephibosheth. For the man belonged to a condemned family. But David acted on the basis of love and grace. Hold on. Hold on. This sounds like me. It sounds like you. You were in the wrong family. You were in and under Adam in sin when he came looking for you on the basis of love and grace. Hmm. David sought Mephibosheth and assured him not to be afraid. He invited Mephibosheth to live in the palace as a member of his family and to eat at the king's bountiful table. Oh, I'm telling you, this is me. This is you. You're, you're a part of the family of God today because of his kindness you and I have experienced an even greater kindness for as Christians we are God's children and shall live with him in heaven for all eternity we shall live with him in heaven for all eternity forever problem in our world today is kindness is at a bankrupt level in the world today kindness is only experienced when the person being kind to you wants something from you do you find that true or did I make that up the sad part is in the church kindness is waning you got to put it on have to put it on 
Next, number three in the passage is to put on humility. And in this pagan world that Paul was writing to, they admired humility. Or they did not admire, excuse me. Instead, they admired pride and domination. They were a proud people. Jesus Christ is our greatest example of humbleness in Philippians 2. And I, I struggle myself, I don't know about you, but every time I read Philippians 2, I can't hardly get through it without weeping. That he would give up being in heaven to come down and take on flesh, to die on a cross for you. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. None of us deserved it. You can never deserve it. But because of his kindness, because of his humility, he came. It is not thinking poorly of oneself. Humility is not thinking poorly of oneself. Rather, it is having the proper estimate of oneself in the will of God. Let's see if I can find this passage real quick. Look at this, Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each you a measure of faith. In humility, you don't think of yourself higher than others. Ah, you have to put it on. It's a hard one, isn't it? Humility is that thing is once you think you've found it, you lost it, right? I heard that one guy that says, I'm good at, at being humble in a lot of other things. I don't think he's quite got the humility thing figured out. So the person with a humbleness or that puts on humility thinks of others first and not himself. Sometimes it costs you to follow after God and to do the things he asks you to do. The next one that we look at here in the passage is to put on gentleness. And I, I translated that over to put on his meekness. To put on the meekness of Jesus Christ. Meekness is not weakness, but it is power under control. The only... The only similarity to weakness and meekness is they sound good if you're trying to make a poetry thing up. They work for you. But they're completely different words. Completely different. This power under, is under control. The meek person does not have to fly off the handle because he has everything under control. You don't have to be right every time, do you? You have to go, let's do, do it then. Oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh. Power under control. This power, not just physical power, it's the mental power. You wouldn't think of Jesus as being a weak person, would you? As he took the whip and drove them out of the temple. And he lived out there with them rough old fishermen himself. He did okay. He was a strong man. Two people that the Bible talks about being meek. And they're, I think... One of them, the greatest leader that ever lived on the face of the earth, and the other one was the next greatest leader that ever lived on the face of the earth. One of them is Jesus Christ. His talk about his meekness and his leadership is incredible. If you could be a leader like him, the world would change. And the other was Moses. They both are talked about being meek, but strong men. You lead a million Jews or more across that desert and try to be a weak mamby-pamby. You're anything but weak. So those are just my opinions of the greatest leaders I've ever seen in the Bible. And you might have a different idea, and you can discuss that with me at another time. The next one is to put on his long-suffering or patience in the passage. Put on patience that's an easy one isn't it 
We're all patient, aren't we? No, no. I, I said this in a satirical way, so stay with me with my sense of humor. I tell people that I pray constantly that God will teach me patience quickly. All right? And I think that's probably all of your opinion, too. And I remember being a little child about Olive's age and being patient for Christmas Day to come was very, very hard for me to do. Put on long-suffering. If you see, the next verse starts with bearing with one another. Hmm. Let's look at it. The word is literally long-tempered. It's patience. The sh- and I'm going to go and show you what the short-tempered person looks like so you'll have an idea what a long-tempered person looks like. The short-tempered person speaks and acts impulsively and lacks self-control. Know anybody like that? Don't look at your spouse. They lack self-control. They're quick to speak and slow to listen. They lack self-control. When a person is long-suffering, and oh, this is a tough thing, he can put up with people that are provoking or circumstances without retaliating. I got rights. Oh, you do have rights. Why don't you put on long-suffering? Why don't you suffer long with people? Maybe they need a little grace in their life. Maybe whatever they're doing that just makes you want to scream at them or makes you want to punch them upside the head, maybe you don't know what they're going through, huh? It is good to be able to put on long-suffering, but it is wrong to be short-suffering or to get angry too quickly at the wrong things and for the wrong reasons then notice that I already said it earlier but notice that 13 like put on patience bearing with one another kind of got a little bit more specific there didn't he not just be patient but bearing with one another oh my this sounds like Paul is kind of realizing that even in the church even in the lives of believers He's kind of admitting that sometimes hard to get along with people. Some people. Those that have a different personality type than yours. Hard to get along with them. Now, I'm not asking any of you to raise a hand on that one because I know better. Sometimes it's hard to get along even with people in the church. Put on long suffering and bear with them. If that person that just drives you up the wall and you all know you have someone like that in your life, I would challenge you first of all to pray for them. It always helps me with long suffering when I pray for people. Always. Always. I was going to say this first service and didn't say it, and it's kind of out of context. Just stay with me for a moment. Would you like to see the preaching be better at Valley Bible Church? Don't answer that. Please don't answer that. (laughs) Let me tell you how you can be involved to assure that that happens. You pray for those that are doing the preaching. And not, oh, I pray they get done shorter. I pray Larry will be done before 21 minutes and 56 seconds right now. No, no, no. You pray about it. I'll tell you what, your appreciation for the preaching will go up exponentially if you start praying for the men that are doing it. We're just men. We're just men. And God's put it within our hearts to preach the word. And you know what? It's not that common anymore that men want to preach the true word. Next. Interesting how these work together to me bearing with one another and put on forgiveness and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, forgive them just as the Lord forgave you. Huh. 
Well, we might stay there for a while on that one. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, you are to forgive them. And I've heard every excuse for, not, uh, for reasons why you shouldn't forgive somebody. But according to this, you should forgive them. In accordance with how you've been forgiven. God has an ocean of forgiveness. And that's too small. All of the oceans all together, too small. His forgiveness is incredible. And he's given you the ability to have his son's forgiveness. This is the character of Christ that you're putting on. These graces. You don't deserve to be able to forgive, but he's given you that. So God gives you, when you got saved, he gave you a reservoir. And I don't mean in a drought. One that's flowing over of forgiveness. The problem is, will you act on it? Do you forgive? Or do you say, well, I, you know what? I can forgive them, but I can't forget. Oh my goodness, you're telling me you haven't forgiven them anyway. The minute you fall back on that, you're having an excuse to hang on to it a little longer. Now I know that mentally you can't forget what they did. But you can for sure choose not to remember it in such a way that you hold it against them. Get rid of the book that you're keeping on people. And then he shares, then I'm going to share with you, how did he forgive you? Huh. How about this? Unconditionally? Did he, did he, when you got saved, did you hear him say, I'll forgive you of your sins and put you in my family if you do these things? If you keep the law, if you do this, if you do the legalism things, then I'll put you in. No, 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 no. He forgave you unconditionally. And freely. And he didn't say, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget. Matter of fact, he said just the opposite. He says, I'll forgive you. And I'll forgive your sins. And then I'll do something with your sins that you're not capable of doing, but I can do it because I'm God. I'll cast them so deep into the sea of forgetfulness. Oh my goodness. When you got saved, all your sins were paid for by Jesus Christ on a cross. And he said, all those sins, I'm throwing them away. I'm not going to remember them anymore. I throw them behind my back as far as the east is from the west. This is the kind of forgiveness that you should be exercising toward one another. Oh, what a church difference that would make. Oh, what a life difference it would make in you. Not forgiving is bitterness. Not forgiving is poison to you. Listen to what D.L. Moody saw this in an article. In one of his sermons, he used a picture of the Lord in his forgiveness. Listen to this. I wept through it the first service. I'll try and read it. It's this metaphorical thing of the Lord saying to Peter, Peter, uh, hey, do me a favor. Go hunt up the man who put the crown of thorns on my head. And tell him I love him. Go look that guy up who beat my face in to where I was unrecognizable. And the guy that shoved those thorns down into my, into my skull. And tell him I love him. Tell him he can have a crown in my kingdom. And it doesn't have any thorns. Find the man who spit in my face and preach the gospel to him. Tell him that I forgive him and that I died to save him. And then find that man who thrust the spear into my side 
and tell him there's a quicker way to my heart that is how the Lord Jesus has forgiven us and now he says it's our turn to forgive have you been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. All your sins nailed to his cross. All of them erased by the power of his blood. How could you hold a grudge? Harboring bitterness and a resentful attitude towards your wife, toward your husband, toward your children, and toward your cousins, toward whoever you want to put in that spot, that brother in Christ, all oh, the next time you think about harboring and not forgiving someone, remember what you've been forgiven. Remember that the one that forgave you knows every rotten thing that you've ever done. Every sin that you've ever done on him, every one that you will do, he knew about all of them and he forgave you anyway. Oh, I'm still capable of sin, but I stand before you forgiven. And you are to put on forgiveness. He can forgive you knowing who you are, then you can forgive others. The final one, the eighth one, you find it in 14, he gave it a whole verse all by itself. And then, beyond all these things, Beyond all these other seven things I've told you to put on, put on love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You know what perfect means? There's nothing else you can do. It's a finished thing. It's the perfect bond of unity, love. And it's the thread that runs through all of the other seven. The other seven aren't possible if you don't have love. They're just not possible. Not without love. I like to call them, because we called it a wardrobe, I like to call love like the overcoat. It, it's over all of them. I told them in the early service, I got up this morning and it had rained so hard last night. I don't know how many of you heard the rain last night, but I thought my house was going to blow away. And it was raining hard. So I got up this morning, I got my suit on, and I put my overcoat on. And then I got outside and the sun was shining. I said, well, that figures. I should have left it at home. But it was great from a message. So it's down there. You'll see me put it on later. That's what love is. You got to have love. If you don't have love, you're, you're just, you're a clanging symbol. And the people that you're talking to about Christ, those that you're telling about Christ, if they don't think you love them, they don't care what you have to say. They don't care who you know or what you know until they know you care. And if you don't love people, don't even don't tell them you're a Christian if you don't love them. Please don't throw us all in the mix with you. You got to love people. Love is the ingredient that bonds us together and unifies us. Oh, you could sin against me and I can forgive you because I love you. Do you know how many times how many of you have been married 25 years or more? Oh, yeah. How many times have you forgiven your spouse? Oh. Yeah, Willie, you got guts. He said, preacher. A lot, right? A lot. Why? you love them and you find out these people that just fall out of love I, I, I had a different kind of love than they had I, I love that girl so much I, whatever whatever comes our way we're in it together and I'll forgive her and I'll be gentle with her and I'll be kind to her and oh it's not a marriage class I'm sorry but it's true because I love her. Because he put a love in me 
that I get to put on and share with you. Okay, now that we've put those eight pieces of clothing on and we're completely dressed up, we're ready to go meet the world. <laughs> go look for all the people who, who are God's elect, his chosen ones before the foundation of the world. We're ready to go tell them about Christ. We are looking like we are dressed in the wardrobe of Christ. Now what? Well, Paul has three more things that he told the Colossians. Three more things to instruct us on, and here they are. You see it in verse 16. Excuse me, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. You see that? Let the peace of Christ huh, rule. We don't like that word rule a lot of times. What do you mean you're going to rule over me? Or you're going to rule, let the peace of Christ rule me. I'm an independent person. Well, no, you're not. You shouldn't be. Get over that one too. Rule there. Let it rule your heart. That word rule meant to umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your heart. Let it be the umpire. This is super important that you grasp this. Because there's, it, the longer you're saved, the longer you study the word of God, the longer you're in this, you realize there are things that are going to come up that there's no black and white thing here in the Bible. There's, I, I don't see the black and white. This is the black and white. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. But think about this. When I was in seminary, I was in like my final year of seminary, I had, I had two different things that I was quasi-offered, two different spots at other churches. Men called me up and asked me, would I be interested in doing things at other churches? And the peace of Christ wouldn't let me even consider it. it just, it wouldn't. I had no peace about even thinking about leaving Valley Bible. No job here yet. I'm still in school. Had no idea I'd be here. But I had to have the peace of Christ or I couldn't make those moves. And I, and I, I remember telling my wife, I said, I don't care if we never get a job here at the church. I don't think I went to school to do nothing necessarily. I, I feel like God is using that schooling to help at Valley Bible. And he would have, whether I was hired or whether I wasn't hired. But I knew he didn't want me to leave. I just knew it. And she was willing to go. It was incredible. She had a willingness to follow. If you want to go, I'm letting you know I'm ready. And I quickly squashed that. I said, I don't feel God asking me to leave here. Now, show me in my Bible, other than the passage I just told you, where did I find that? Oh, I found it because I was letting the peace of Christ umpire and have a decision in my decision. Just let it. And then look what he says at the end of that verse. And be thankful. Isn't that neat? We're going to see a common thread in these final three verses. You're going to see that word every time. next one verse 16 let the word of God and I, I said it this way let the word of God motivate your worship let the word of God motivate your worship not oh I feel like it today oh listen to the rhythm of that song oh I'm just ready to worship oh no 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 let the word of God motivate how you worship isn't that look, look what he says let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And what's the, what happens when that happens? When you let the word of God richly dwell within you, this is how it looks with all wisdom and admonishing one another 
with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with, with, there's that word again, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay. So this morning, I'm up here and I'm preaching. We all see that, right? But this morning, if you were singing with a heart that was motivated by the word of God, you were preaching a little bit to each other. You were admonishing one another. You were encouraging that brother next to you. When we sang, he will hold me fast. When you sang that, I could look around the room and go, he will hold you fast, brother. I got a passage I'll show you that says he will. But you're singing it with your heart because you know the passage. I knew the passage. It makes me be able to worship in a different way. It motivates me to worship in a different way. It should motivate you to worship in a different way. This is why it's so important you get in the book. Because I need you to encourage me. Because I need you to admonish me. You know, we take that word admonish and sometimes we think that's a a bad thing. Oh, no, it's not. Not always. Sometimes it can be, but not always. I look at it, oh, please admonish me to do better. Please tell me. Teaching one another, admonishing one another, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Not only to God, but admonishing each other. Is that not there? I think I see that there. No, I know I see it there. I don't know what you're seeing, but I see it there. With... A horrible attitude. No, no. With thankfulness. With thankfulness. All right. Almost done. Verse 17. Final one. Let the name that is above every name motivate your life. Let it be what you live for. Look what he says in this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, that seems like it covers everything. In word and in deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, the Lord Jesus, to God the Father. All that you do in word or deed, do it according to his name. On your job, you work, you can say, well, I'm working hard to get a paycheck. Well, stop. Start working to him, he'll provide the paycheck for you. Start, and, at, start to make him the admiration of your life. Everything I do in word or deed is to forward his name. I'm a child of the king. I want him to be proud of me that, I'm, that I am representing him to a world that has no hope without us doing that. So remember who you are. I'm going to cover the five. Remember who you are. Get dressed in the clothing of Christ, in his character. Live your life in submission to the peace of God, permeated by the word of God, which motivates your worship, and be motivated by the name of God. That's what I saw in this passage. That's what you should see after I just told you that. Now then, that doesn't mean I'm done. I'm almost done. Finally, in the fable of the emperor's new clothes, Any of you know that fable? Well, you're going to get the Larry Howard version of it because the long version was about 11 minutes long and I got about two minutes. An unscrupulous con artist seeking royal favor promises to provide the emperor with an outfit of clothing that would be very special. Oh, it would be very special. In fact, the fabric would be so delicate and rare that the clothes would be undetectable to the touch and more importantly, these new clothes would be invisible to, and here's the thing they would be invisible to anyone of poor character or inferior ability this guy was good this guy was really good we don't want him in our pulpit when the emperor received the empty hanger on which his new outfit supposedly was displayed he could hardly admit to not seeing the clothes without impugning his own suitability for the royal office he had gone so far in now it was really hard for him to say well I don't see anything well, if you don't see it, then you're not, you don't have any wisdom. Oh, well, the emperor could never admit to that. So he admired the clothes, as did his advisors. They put them on and strutted proudly around the kingdom, stark naked. Maybe they had undergarments on, hard to say. 
And if you remember the story, it was a little boy that told his mom, hey, Mom, the emperor ain't got any clothes on. And then the emperor was so far in, he wouldn't admit it, he just kept walking around that way. Now, why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that? Because the clothes you wear cause you to represent something. Amen? The, the, the clothing that we just talked about, you putting on, represents Jesus Christ. It represents the good news. And people see if you're wearing the clothes or not. You might be going, well, I'm wearing all the clothes of righteousness. And the people around you are going, I'm sorry, we don't see you wearing that. Well, that's not a good thing. And so this was my, it's amazing how this passage seemed to work out. I got it right at the beginning of the year because I said, you know what, if there's any resolution that you might make for a new year, it would be to put on the character of Christ. It would be to put these on, to love one another, to be gentle with each other, to have kindness toward one another, kindness toward a world that desperately needs to be treated kindly. Instead of pointing out that they're, you don't agree with their political opinion, why don't you tell them about Jesus Christ and forget their political opinion? You know what? There'll be no political opinions in heaven, and there won't be any political opinions in hell. So there's the challenge for you for 2023. And my prayer is, and I'll pray it, is that when you look at the end of 2023, you'll be able to say, I had a new wardrobe this year. And oh, I'm promising you, I will make an absolute one zillion percent promise to you. If you put on these clothes, you're going to bear some fruit. You will bear fruit for him like you've never borne before. But you have to be proactive in it. You have to say every day, I'm going to put on my clothes today. You ever forget to put your clothes on and go out? Nope. No, you don't. So you've got to remember these clothes too. Write this passage down. Write it down. Memorize it. Memorize it. You're good enough to memorize six verses. Oh, that you would remember it's important to put on these clothes. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word today. Thank you for putting this passage in there for me. The litmus of am I wearing the clothes of righteousness. I'm already righteous. You said I'm clothed in righteousness because of what Christ did. I already know that I am seen as holy. I'm, I'm seen as a beloved child of yours and that you chose me out. I, I understand that position, but oh, I pray that for me and for my brothers and sisters in the room that we would be able to say not only am I not only am I positionally there but I'm living it out I'm acting it out today uh, who I am in Jesus Christ thank you so much for this time we pray you'll bless each individual as they leave here in Christ's precious precious name we pray amen